Katie, where where can we find you on the internet if someone hears this podcast and wants to see what 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 you have to say? <laughs> April 21st, 2021, the United States Navy established an elite podcast for the top 1% of its pilots, I I, I mean potential podcasters. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of uh, watching movies at the bar and to ensure that the handful of women and men who graduated were the best fighter, uh, I mean movie bar talkers, in the world. They succeeded. Today, the fans call it watching movies at the bar. The podcasters call it Top Gun. Woo! Right yeah, into it's the danger zone. <laughs> yeah. All right, you're listening to Watching Movies at the Bar. I'm Thomas Grabinski, and I'm joined, as always, by my wingman, Bethy Squires. Uh, and tonight, we are incredibly excited to be joined by Katie Walsh, who is a critic for the Tribune News Service and also the LA Times. Katie is someone whose opinions I respect deeply, and I couldn't be more thrilled to uh, be, be having this conversation. Welcome, Katie. Thomas, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever <laughs> said. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm very excited. I, I love bars. I love movies. I love thinking about movies in bars and talking about movies in bars. So, you know, I haven't been to a bar in 14 months, I guess. That's the number we're working with now. So um, this is the next best thing. Uh, so when you do go to bars do you like to go to bars that play movies or are you more uh watch movie in designated movie space and then talk about it in the bar what's your strat you know both i you know they're different viewing experiences because you know obviously if you're gonna like go have a real experience cinematic experience you want to go watch it in the theater and then you go talk about it afterwards and then but like it's really fun when you're in a bar and like you kind of get sucked into the movie or you're like, what's this? Or you get excited about it and then you kind of stop hanging out and talking with your friends and like watching the movie instead. So uh, totally different experiences. Uh, appreciate both as uh, as as movie going um, types, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, but yeah. And as as we've been talking to guests, we're continuing to sort of triangulate what exactly this podcast is and to collect as much data <laughs> as possible. What what kind of movie uh, do you do you think plays best at a bar, or what do you most gravitate towards? Can be anything. You know, it has to be something obviously that that works on a visual level. So I, um, when I was in my twenties, I, I cocktail waitressed at a restaurant for a while, and we'd always play. Um, Charlie Chaplin movies. I think I was always the one putting on the Charlie Chaplin movies because, and no one appreciated them. And I'd be like, "Oh, it's beautiful, the child," and uh, <laughs> you know, everyone was also just drunk. I'm just the 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 waitress talking about Charlie Chaplin. Wait, um, I want to derail briefly. Is Chaplin your guy as far as the silent comedians go? Yeah, who are your guys? Who are your guys <laughs> in terms of the silent comedians? No, I would say more like um, Buster Keaton. Okay. Is my guy because he's less problematic. <laughs> True. Uh, Harold Lloyd is my guy. I'm a real Lloyd I head. Love Lloyd. Love love Lloyd. Got a big old clock. He's going to climb on it and do some funny stuff. Uh, yeah. No, I think we just like had this weird drawer full of DVDs and, and 
there were Charlie Chaplin movies in there and I would, I would put them on. I always, being the pretentious little like film school asshole I was for a while, I was always like, oh, I really want to play Soy Cuba on the TV, <laughs> um, which is this black and white movie made in um, Cuba in the 50s by these crazy Russians. And it's got all these really, really long takes, but it's like very visually striking and um, I, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to like educate these plebs. Wait, about- I think I did see that at a bar once. Or at least, I mean, I mean it not makes all of it, sense. like half of it. <laughs> because... is, soy, is Soy Cuba a popular bar pick? <laughs> it's just very visually striking. And, you know, it's three hours long. It's about the revolution in Cuba. It's like, yes, if you want to watch the whole thing, it's an amazing movie. But it's also great to just like see what crazy shit Kolatasov and Yurosevsky are doing with their camera. So I recall a lot of pictures of crops. That's yeah, a lot, the of, a lot of cr- yeah, yeah it, it, there's a really cool shot. Sorry, this is how pretentious. Um, <laughs> no, this rocks. <laughs> there's a really cool shot where they start in like the the jungle of Cuba and they're on this canoe and the camera sort of does like a fake cut where it seems like it's a one but then it goes, well, there's a smash cut, but it goes into um, a shot that is on the top of a hotel and it's like there's a beauty pageant. And so there's all these beauty queens walking around a hotel and then the the camera like goes down the hotel and then it like gets in the pool. I mean, it's like a it's a crazy. These guys are all about like doing crazy oneers. So you know, it's like sixties and fifties beauty queens and Cuba and crazy stuff going on. So it's like a thing that you could watch and you don't necessarily have to listen to it. So it's I think it's ideal bar movie. And also, you can sound really cool and be like, "Oh, it's soy Cuba." So <laughs> obviously, <laughs> Katie, I love I love hearing you talk about this stuff because I think that you uh, are, are a very sophisticated and analytical person. Oh, but if thank there's you. something that I have gleaned reading your letterboxed reviews and following your writing for various publications is you know how to have a good time at the movies. I feel like I feel like if there is fun to be had in a movie there there are writers who will overlook that but you do not i that's a thank you for saying that that is like i want to have fun at the movies and i think you know being a critic it's like you watch a lot of movies sometimes you get really depressed about the state of the industry because (laughs) you're like oh my god i'm watching all these shitty horrible movies like that's the thing that i say to a lot of people is like yes i love my job i have a very cool job but i guarantee you i've watched way more bad movies than you have (laughs) like movies that you would never even think of watching not even fun bad movies but I still have that like every time I start a movie I like want to love it and I want to have a good time and I also am very like delighted by um crazy bonkers stuff so like I had I had fun with Mortal Kombat you know it was like I felt like a little kid again um I think I tend to have fun more than anything else so I tend to be a little bit more enthusiastic I think than some of my peers but I think that's a good thing we like movies Totally. And I also think that Top Gun is a great movie uh, if you're someone who likes to have fun. But I also think it actually is ripe for some deep digging and analysis in a way that uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure it's always given that opportunity. Totally. And I I really do have fun with this movie. But I also feel like there is, you know, and I could talk a lot about like what I think works about it and and how it works and then also like what you know the weird subtext the homo homo erotic uh sort of vibes of it i was looking at all the letterbox reviews and like every single letterbox review was like tom and val should kiss and i'm like yes i love that this is like what people are vibing on um but i also just 
love it for the like straightforward version of Top Gun that it is as well and why that works. And I think that to me, I think this is a perfect movie and everybody has a different criteria for what is a perfect movie. But for me, I'm just like, what what's a perfect movie to me is like a movie that like all the right choices were made and everything works together. So if you take out any single element, it, it wouldn't work the same way. So it's like Tony Scott like fully just executed like every single correct choice from the casting to the performances to the songs to the shots, you know. And so it's like, uh, to me, a perfect movie doesn't have to necessarily be my favorite movie, but it's like everything works and it's of a piece and all the all the correct choices were made. Ooh, ooh, I'm gonna out uh, snooty you and say that you kind of, it seems like maybe you're viewing Top Gun as a, a Gesamtkunstwerk. I don't know what that means. A Gesamtkunstwerk is a total work of art. It means yes, that every single yes. piece works together and is of a whole, and that whole speaks to the whole of human experience in some way. It's a work that exists in totality and does not – it's like it is the sum of its parts in a way that other pieces aren't. It's exactly what I mean. The Germans always have a word for this. <laughs> they always have a word for this. <laughs> You're going to have to uh, text me that later so I can like look it up and write it down. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google it to make sure I uh, said it and defined it correctly. Or this part might get cut. <laughs> might. I, uh, I, I, I strongly agree with this, and I don't want to tip, tip my hand too much in my perspective yet. But I think the thing that unlocked Top Gun for me was putting it into conversation with the hunger um, in thinking about what it meant for Tony Scott at this moment in his career and what sort of esoteric uh, aspects of this much maligned film made their way into this extremely broad work of Navy propaganda. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a weird fucking movie. But, you know, before we get too much into yeah. that, Bethy had a great idea. Uh, and so I, I've got to give you credit. But I think that in order for us to immerse ourselves fully, we've all got to have a call sign. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah and I, I don't i don't mean to put you on the spot but um this movie gives us you know it gives us maverick it gives us goose iceman merlin i i tonight would like to be sky horse mm. and you don't have to remember that but uh that's where my heart is i think something cool about the call signs is that they they not only are illustrative of how somebody flies, but it's also how they interact in every aspect of their life. There is no such thing as like work life balance in Top Gun, it would appear. So like everything you do is related to your flying is like the flying is like a culmination of your personality in many ways. So like Maverick is a maverick on the ground and in the sky. Iceman is cold as ice on the ground and in the sky. So, goose is just a big old goof. Goose just honks. <laughs> he honks everywhere. Good for him. We respect it. Uh, um, I, I've been thinking about it, and I think my call sign is Daria. Oh, nice. That's As in one. Daria from MTV's Daria, because I uh, overanalyze and be uh, fold my arms defensively uh, in the sky and on the ground. Okay, so I... I'm considering two. I'm considering two. I have two options. Should I tell you both of them or should I choose one? Mm, I'd love to hash it out. Okay, so my first option is Panther. <laughs> Panther of the skies, if you will. You mm. can just say Panther. 
Um, cause I have a black cat and, and I love black cats and also Panther's cool. It sounds like cougar. You can like prowl around. Um, and the other one I was thinking would be Empress. Okay. For like a queen, some, some queen shit. I'm gonna. <laughs> Those are cool. I like the connotations of cougar, but I, I think, or not of Panther, yeah. but, uh, Empress is really evocative to me. Beth, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. So, uh, Panther and Empress both give me very strong emotional reactions because uh, my my high school, Bloomington High School North, were the Cougars, and our bitter, bitter enemies was Bloomington High School South, who were the Panthers. Oh, because okay, so... the school split in half. So they like at one point there was just Bloomington High School, and then they split into North and South, but they kept the same mascot just by different names. So it was very funny to me that it was the. I went to the same school, but there was like this idea that we all hated each other's guts, but mm. there was no such actual enmity between people. So you have a, a bad connotation with Panther. Panthers are my rival school, and so <laughs> for me, it is on site with a Panther. But uh, I don't begrudge you that. I do think Empress is cool because it makes me think of the tarot card and like the, yeah. the nurturing mother. Uh, a person who seems inactive but is actually nurturing life. An empress card is often pregnant. It's a card that is about uh, understanding life, understanding the nature of time, and understanding uh, that action is not always... Like, looking busy is not always actually the most useful thing to do in a situation. Okay, well, I gotta go with Empress. <laughs> I mean, after that, I gotta go. It feels like a cool, a cool energy to bring to the skies. As somebody am... who's like, nah, I'm waiting for the moment and then I strike. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's Empress is the exact opposite of Maverick. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. So, I, okay, that's my call sign. That's great. Yeah, mine is actually not informed by anything, and I'm embarrassed that I spoke before uh, being given those parameters. But I like Skyhorse. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard. To, it's hard to see. Bethy says it has to be, you know, the way that you are, both in in the mm, air and on the yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be to be a Skyhorse on the ground is is yeah, too... there's something there's something to that. Yeah, you can totally be a, a land bound Skyhorse. <laughs> I think you're flapping your wings around. Yeah, yeah, he was going, you don't get it. I am a sky horse. It's like, you're on the ground. No, 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 but I belong in the sky. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm a sky horse. Right, exactly. Like, I'm here for a little while, but I belong elsewhere. Uh, yeah, you, you've 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 given me more to work with than I, I ever <laughs> could have imagined. So sky, sky horse it is. So we've got sky horse, Daria, and Empress, the Empress? Either one, either one. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll figure that out yeah. as we go. Um, I'm I'm really excited for this, Katie. You clearly are very enthusiastic about this topic. Bethy's going to provide not to tip your hand too much a counterpoint. <laughs> but we need uh, to have some I, friction. We need to have a little friction to get the heat going. Absolutely, it, and hot. It is Top like, Gun is all about the yeah. Heat. It's about the the heat of conflict and whether or not that's actually useful for. Uh, Making a good army, I guess. <laughs> Listen, we can't get in too deep into the politics. I mean, we sh- we should get in deep into the politics of to- Top Gun, but like, it's one of those things where it's like it's best left unexamined, <laughs> <laughs> Let, acknowledged, acknowledged, but but unexamined. Right. I don't think there's anything 
too interesting when you get too into the fact that they consulted the Navy when making narrative choices in the film. But I do think, <laughs> despite all of these things that make Top Gun kind of an eye roll, one could argue that it fucking rules. And I know that Katie and I will both do that. Indeed, um, we will. Indeed, we will. All right. So I am going to do a, a quick flyover, some background on a Top fly Gun. A flyby, as it were. Flyby, exactly. It's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, <laughs> But uh, bear, bear with me for a moment, and we'll, we'll contextualize this in a meaningful way. So um, I had not seen this movie for 15 years, and I was pretty sure I didn't like Top Gun for the aforementioned military association. I, I have a really hard time with military propaganda in Hollywood movies. It's just it's an allergy for me. It makes my skin crawl. But somehow, Top Gun still won me over. So this movie came out in 1986. It's directed by Tony Scott. Um, I don't want to get too mired in the larger career of Tony Scott, but I think it's kind of impossible to cover cover Top Gun thoughtfully without really contextualizing it within his filmography. Um, So Tony Scott, you know, followed in his relatively obscure brother's footsteps, (laughs) uh, Ridley Scott. Mm, Um, He was an art student in Leeds and London in the 60s. And as the story goes, he wanted to be a painter. But he finished school with a mountain of debt, um, and his brother had started a company called RSA, which is a pretty successful commercial production entity, and so he decided that he would spend the next 15 years of his life directing commercials. Um, At the time, there was a pretty clear pipeline for filmmakers doing this, like Adrian Lyne and his brother, to make the jump to Hollywood film, Uh, and he followed suit with an incredibly stylish, uh, though not at all appreciated film, The Hunger. Um, the Hunger is really fucking cool, and by the time Tony made this movie, he'd been directing commercials for so long that he had a style. He came out fully formed. Uh, and this movie is super horny, has great vampires, but I don't want to talk about it too much because I actually think we will likely dedicate an episode at some point to The Hunger, a movie that Bethy will like more for sure. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely. Um, but without getting into too much detail, the most important thing to know about The Hunger is that it was largely critically reviled and considered by many within the industry to be an embarrassment when That's it came out. That's insane. That's actually It's fucking insane. insane. Yeah. I, I didn't insane. know that because I thought it, I've only ever heard of it as a classic. Like it has been so critically reappraised that I didn't realize that initially. Same. I didn't even realize it, that it was, yeah. that it was considered an embarrassment. That's wild to me. Yeah, and and the people who championed it appreciated the style, which was utterly unmissable. I mean, the movie opens with a Bauhaus performance, and Bela Lugosi's dead, and David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve doing really horny stuff, stuff you (laughs) don't see in studio movies now. Uh, And the movie doesn't really let up from there. It only gets more kind of unhinged. It adds Susan Sarandon to the mix. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, she's so good. Yeah. People always talk about how great Catherine Deneuve is in that, but I think Susan Sarandon is, like, equally incredible. Um, so, yeah, uh, at the time, it seemed like Tony Scott was not going to be directing Hollywood movies. It was it was that much of a fucking bomb. And so this oddball stylist returned to making commercials. Um, and that's what makes Top Gun so interesting and strange. Uh So to bring it back, this is a Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer movie, which is notable given their long career of collaborations and and their vast filmography of a very certain type of action film. (laughs) And, you know, Top Gun fits in well. Um, But uh, Simpson and Bruckheimer 
brought the material to Tony Scott for maybe the doofiest reason possible. Um, and it wasn't because they thought The Hunger rocked, although they clearly liked it more than most people in town. But it was because Tony Scott had directed a Saab commercial called Nothing on Earth Comes Close. Did either of you check this out? No. no. I need to watch it, though. This, this commercial almost single-handedly gave Tony Scott his career in Hollywood because no one was offering him work for about two years after The Hunger. But he directed this commercial. And if you're a Tony Scott fan, you should look it up. It's on YouTube. It's super easy to find. But basically, it's a minute and 30 seconds of a pilot and a race car driver in hangars sort of circling a Saab 900 automobile in a Saab jet before they get in. And it has this, like, really hard spotlight on each. It's super dreamlike. And then they just race. And so Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, being the geniuses that they are, they were like, oh, the guy who directed a commercial uh, where a car is about as fast as a jet plane, he's our guy for Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> um it's goofy, but that's advertising, baby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, Tony Scott got away with murder, making a movie as arty and, like I said, profoundly horny and, most importantly, divisive as The Hunger, um, but then gets a hugely commercial shot with Top Gun, which he fucking knocks out of the park. Um, and I don't want to get too into my thoughts here because we're going to get into this very deeply. I think we're going to talk about sort of what works in this movie and on what terms. Um, but I think it should be said that a lot of the sort of intuitive eroticism and incredible style that he brought to The Hunger, he brings to Top Gun in a different way. And it really unifies and makes interesting what in the hands of an American director could be really stupid. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, let, that's that's the background that I want to provide. Let's get into it. Katie, is it putting you too much on the spot to explain what the plot of Top Gun is? No, short, um, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah, so it opens with it opens it's it's an interesting I was thinking about the plot because it's like a very basic uh story in the sense that it, like it has an opening scene that mirrors the closing scene that mirrors the ending and uh it opens in the Indian Ocean on an aircraft carrier. Sorry, I I'm yeah, going to like I think it is. flub a lot of <laughs> like I'm like it's a boat with planes on it. Um but and we we meet Maverick and Goose and they are they encounter a MIG. The one thing I love about this movie is that it doesn't pander. The script doesn't pander or try to explain anything to you. It's not like, well, a MIG is a blah blah plane from wherever, <laughs> probably Russia. It's like they just say what it is and then you figure it out. You're like, it's a bad plane. Like yeah, yeah. you know, like and then there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't even know what Goose does, to be frank, but it doesn't matter because He's effective as hell, you know? So it's like sometimes when these movies are like, I let me explain to you, like, the buttons. It's like, no, who cares? We just want to know <laughs> bad bad plane, good plane. This person wins. This person doesn't win. Um, and Mav- MIG is a, is a Russian jet for anyone. Who's right. Wondering. I figured it was Russian. But, um, you know, so they encounter this MIG. Uh, Maverick's this, like, really hotshot uh, pilot. He ends up saving this guy named Cougar. Cougar has a freak out in the air. And then Cougar turns in his wings. He's like, I can't do it. I have a wife and kid at home. And by him leaving, that opens up a spot for Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, and Goose, played by uh, Anthony Edwards. Big heart eyes for him. Um, Huge heart eyes. Huge heart eyes. 
And so they go to Miramar in California, I assume, which I think is like probably San Diego or something. Um, so they go to Miramar uh, and they enter Top Gun school. It's like eight weeks or five weeks or something of Top Gun school where they're learning how to be like fighter weapons or whatever it's called. And um, there they meet uh, their rival, Iceman, um, and his backseat driver, uh, Slider, and some of the, all the other guys. And then uh, they go to a, a fun little bar. It's I don't think it's really a bar. It's like a some sort of venue. It's kind of a bar. They go. They uh, they meet uh, a hot woman named uh, played by Kelly McGillis. Uh, Maverick does his little routine which is to <laughs> sing you've lost that love and feeling at her which like we need to get into like how you both would react to someone doing that to you oh <laughs> murder Not well it's bad <laughs> um and then he realizes that this hot older woman who he has a crush on is actually want want his teacher at the school she's like <laughs> an astrophysicist who's obsessed with migs so she keeps like inviting him over for dinner to be like, yeah, I just want to hear about the Mig. <laughs> pump um, him for information, as it were. And the and the sexual tension between Tom Cruise, arguably at the height of his powers, and Kelly McGillis is like, you can chew on it. It is <laughs> thick. Um, Berlin's take my breath away doesn't doesn't hurt either. No, it doesn't. And like, it's so genius that Tony Scott was like, "I have three songs. I'm going to play them <laughs> as many times as possible." Oh my god, it's the best. But then it you, it turns you into this like Pavlov's dog, where you like where you hear the like da na 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 na, and you're like, "Yes, they're gonna <laughs> get it on, um, get it on right now." Um, so, uh, you know, Maverick's trying to get the trophy at the end. Iceman says he's the best pilot. They're doing a bunch of things. He's acting all crazy. His confidence is rising. And then something bad happens. Uh, there's some sort of accident where they, you know, get into a spin. Uh, they eject from the plane. They land in the water. Goose dies. Really sad. Really, really sad. Um, and so then uh, Maverick is working through his grief and he wants to leave he ends up graduating they go back to the indian ocean they fight a mig again and this time he's like i've worked through all my trauma my daddy issues are okay i didn't kill my best friend <laughs> and he like learns all the lessons that he learned in his fighter school and he um saves the day from the bad migs and he saves Iceman. and then everybody gets out of the planes and they're like woo and there's like a really long scene where they're just like cheering and that's really fun <laughs> and that is Top Gun. Did I get everything? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was very good. And all of the things that you missed, we'll talk about over the next hour. Yes, exactly. Before we get fully into it, I'm so sorry. It's very hot in my house, and I'm already out of my drink. So I'm going to talk. Go up. get it. Oh, I can just uh, start my argument for the opposing counsel, I guess. Sure. Sure. Uh, sure. I guess I had a slightly different view of the plot because I feel like it's more a story about a, a pretty boy whose his one fatal flaw is that he's too good at flying. He's so good at flying that it makes his life hard somehow. Like, <laughs> uh, he's so good at flying that he gets yelled at for helping his friend Cougar 
back down to the ground. And because of that experience, he gets sent to Top Gun, where he's so good at flying that everybody's mad at him. And he gets into these rivalries for being too good at his job. And then he's so good at flying that he uh, flies so good that it causes his plane to spin out and kill his friend. But don't worry, that's not his fault. Maverick has no flaws. <laughs> so he is cleared of all charges uh, and is so good at flying that it causes him to undo any PTSD or uh, dad issues because even even his dad was so good at flying that he died. Uh, and it's just about this guy who is so good at flying that he gets laid, uh, can get away with maybe murder, unclear, and... Uh, can that's make a, that's cute kissy take. faces. At I don't. I, ice. I think it's made. I think it's made abundantly clear that he doesn't. That he's not responsible for Goose's. Death. I understand. I understand that's what the the Navy ruled, but I don't understand how he flew into the jet wash. Like he couldn't see the jet wash. I it's. I think it is grayer than the film wants it to be, but I also think that uh, sa- him saddling himself with that trauma would help no one, so I'm fine with letting it be fine that he was exonerated. I'll I'll allow it. So, like, in your description of the plot, like, that's not not true. Like, I don't think anything that you say is, like, not true. It's just, like, a totally different, like, outlook, obviously, on on what happens. I did rewind the, the goose death scene and, like, Goose is going, go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And then my understanding is that, I don't know, like, he they eject and then Goose, like, hits the the glass thing. Yeah. Yeah. His body collides when he ejects. It, it's really it's a, gnarly. A, it's like a big yeah. thunk. Um, but, like, when I was re-watching it, I, like, didn't quite follow, like, all of the different actions that were happening. And then I had to rewind it and watch it. But, like, yeah, I mean, you know, the, like... Obviously, Iceman calls him dangerous multiple times. Um, I don't think he's not dangerous, but I think, yeah, I mean, you're supposed to like that he is uh, a maverick. (laughs) You know, you're supposed to like that he's, you know, takes risks and that he's like, you know, that he gets away with it. But I think what what works for me about this movie and, and that I think would not, like if when I was talking about the choices that were made, this movie doesn't work without Goose at all because otherwise Maverick is just an asshole. And <laughs> right. you have to have someone as likable as Goose who likes him for us to like access Maverick, right? So that's why I'm saying like if you don't have – like obviously, you know, Bruckheimer and Simpson – I don't know the the development of this film at all. But, you know, you have someone like Tom Cruise who is just st- – stupidly hot and charismatic (laughs) like it is a nuclear weapon of (laughs) of piercing eyes and and that's what i'm getting that's why i am am sort of drawn into this and like i love tom cruise he is probably a psychotic person (laughs) who is not even like who is definitively high up in a dangerous cult like that is just a fact but he is my favorite movie star and him in the 80s is like so great and I think this is just this one movie where you're like like Tony Scott just like hones it into this weapon to like murder everyone's you know hearts or you know groins whatever you want to call um with like how 
hot and great he is. Because it's not even just that he's hot. Because he's hot, but he's not like the hottest guy you've ever seen. He's, you know, he's Tom Cruise. But he's very good looking. But it's like his charisma that works, his presence on screen. He's supposed to be incredibly charming. And I think that is honestly where I can 100% recognize the artistry of the film the the as the Gazam Kunzwerk of it all, uh, that it is a perfect piece, but the all of it rests on one finding Tom Cruise charming slash hot. And right. I don't and can't. And I think for me it, it's like it's just a reaction formation that's possible right. that my hostility towards this film is being so unhorny for Tom Cruise. I can't. I just mm, <laughs> if somebody likes themselves more than they like me, that's gonna be a no. It doesn't help that I'm like a five on the Kinsey scale, so like oh, it, there's yeah. like a pretty high bar for dudes to clear. But a confident dude is never gonna get it. I need a beta. <laughs> it's my thing. My ideal man is Philip J. Fry from Futurama. I'm looking for a puppy more than I'm looking for a. Uh, dude to slam well that's the thing like i think that about top gun is like you can you know look at it as a gewurztraminer whatever that <laughs> word is. as a as a uh schnitzel yes and you can say okay this is it it's there's artistry it's a, a whole piece it is the thing but i reject it personally because of tom cruise because of the navy because of whatever reason and like i think that's totally fair but I accept it into my heart. Bethy, here's 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 where I'm coming mm-hmm. from. And the caveat I will also issue, I, I texted Bethy the other morning when we were talking about Top Gun a bit, and I said, Bethy, I have to tell you that my my most problematic take is that I like Katie, love Tom Cruise. I, I, I find few people to be more electric on screen. I think that he embodies in every way movie stardom um, in a way that is compelling and to me particularly because there there are fewer and fewer people even in that orbit mm-hmm. as as time totally. passes so i love tom cruise i also will say that yes he is he is involved in a really terrible cult and and probably has uh people performing lots of unpaid labor at his many homes uh but uh if you worked on a movie with Tom Cruise, I think he would like you. And I think he would treat you very well, better than himself. My understanding is that he's a real a real collaborator. So, uh, But to, to bring it back to the kind of Goose-Maverick issue, I, I, I agree with Katie. I think Goose in the film is what makes his assholery palatable. I find him very charming. I find him very hot. But if it were not for that character, it would be too much for me. I would be like, oh, this guy is just a dickhead. But the fact that he is looked upon with such affection by his dear friend, that that is really sweet to me. And it, it makes me think a little bit about the uh, Sonmi stuff in Cloud Atlas and her sort of unifying quality of what it is to be a human, which is uh, to be sort of seen and perceived by others in the way that just becomes a part of yourself. I think the way that Maverick is seen by Goose is really beautiful and tempers any annoyance that I might have. I also personally believe he did not kill him. I think it's very much an accident. I also think that despite his conversation with his superior officer later, which is frustrating because he's basically like, look, man. Don't have PTSD. Sometimes in battle. Yeah, your friends friends die, and that's just part of it. There are going to be more. But I think 
it is an accident. And I think what it unlocks in this very, you know, egomaniacal, obnoxious person is that there are variables entirely out of his control. They're, they're just things that he cannot control for. And when that is introduced, he realizes that he has to live his life with a continued awareness and uh, care for the people around him. I don't know. I, I do think it actually is really effective um, in a way that it was not for me when I watched it many years ago. I, I do want to say that I was being glib when I said he did a murder. That's not... <laughs> I, I think it's I funny. do think I, it I think, I think it was an accident. I do think that it is in part an accident that's his fault that if anyone else had been flying that plane that wouldn't have happened because they wouldn't have mavericked it up. Um I guess for me it's a little bit like he this was this could have been a moment for character development and that he has that conversation with his superior that's like nah just keep being you. <laughs> <laughs> like that the the military industrial complex almost like uh prevents him from actually self actualizing and figuring out how to interact with the world as a person and not as the main character of Top Gun. But that but then like his superior's like, no no no, you're the main character in Top Gun. You go do that. Yeah, I think that's just like what the movie is. Yeah. Like I <laughs> I I totally get what you're saying, but I'm also just like, yeah, but then we don't get the part at the end where everyone's like, yeah, woo, yeah, you did it. We love everything. It's like at a certain point, like I just accept being manipulated by cinema and <laughs> um, I like it and I let it happen to me. I let Jerry Bruckheimer do his thing on me. And I it's enjoy so it. That dogfight at the good. end fucking whips ass. I'm not even going to lie. That's the 15 minutes that I can really get behind in this film. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And it's also like, it's like, it's like good Maverick at that point. <laughs> For sure. I also like, I know we're going straight to the end of the movie. We're going to talk about lots of stuff. But when Iceman has his really iconic line, when he tells Maverick he can be his wingman any day, I like... I've, I think I've learned to cry watching movies in the last, like, three or four years. It was something I didn't have access to for a long time. I think The Leftovers was very helpful, even though that's TV. Anyway, mm -hmm. that was a big learning process for me. But when he said that line, I got really emotional. I'm like, oh, man, this is really working for me. And I also like that, like, Iceman is not ever really a villain in the film he's like cocky but i think he only ever is kind of wise and measured and sort of like gives maverick advice and is like willing to eventually meet him in the middle i don't know i think it's really nice oh, yeah i think iceman's right <laughs> i i think it's good that iceman wins the trophy like if a maverick wins the trophy you're like nah, i don't know about that so it's like no iceman is the best and maverick still has some stuff to learn <laughs> But he does get to help him out in the end. Um, but I, the other thing I just love about this movie is, like, the casting. I mean, the cast is amazing. So oh, yeah. so many good, like, young... I mean, you have, you've got, like, your young guys. And I love the end credits where they start, like, doing everyone's name. And it's just, like, Barry Tubb. It's like, <laughs> who the hell is Barry Tubb playing Wolfman or whatever he is? Oh, yeah. And, like, um, the guy that the chicks wrote that song about the boat. He's in it and doesn't say a single damn word. Adrian, whatever. Oh, yes. Adrian Pazdar. That's another one of my absolute favorite things about Top Gun is that 
so Adrian Pazdar is the star of Near Dark, which is one of my very favorite movies. And he's so, so hot in it because Catherine Bigelow has good taste in men. And yes, he did uh, marry Natalie Maines of The Chicks. And she wrote a whole album about how he's such an asshole. And I believe it. <laughs> um, but he literally is just in this movie, which I believe they probably shot before near dark he's just in this movie sitting behind tom cruise in every scene not saying a damn thing until the very end when he's like hey where's maverick and that's the only line he gets i read that tony scott created that role for him just because he liked him it wasn't something that was in the script that they were looking to cast he was like i want pazdar to be in this movie i believe he's like you know what just sit behind tom cruise with your pretty ass face and let us look at you. <laughs> Be in these these scenes. There's so many scenes where they're in towels. So many <laughs> scenes. Oh yeah. Like they, these guys shower a lot. I mean, I guess that it, I guess if you're fighter piloting, like you have to shower a lot. But like, there's a lot of shower scenes. There's one scene in the shower after like that first exercise where where Maverick goes like below whatever like that the hard deck the hard deck. Thank you. Uh, right before this is before Goose dies when Iceman advises before him. Deuce, before it's, Goose it's when dies. they oh, okay. it's when they 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 get uh, Michael Ironside. Yes, but whose call sign I can't remember. Jester, Jester, or Chester? Jester, like ha ha he he, my lord. Um, <laughs> if someone was like, your name is Jester, I'd be like, Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, spoken like an empress. Right, <laughs> that's a guy that you pay to make you laugh. I know exactly. Um, Daria, um, I should say, if you're the one person who's remembering names tonight, that is a huge accomplishment for you, up. given your reputation <laughs> on this podcast. I don't. Remember, I remember. If you can't remember, remember the names names. of the two characters in Swingers. <laughs> no, that I would I refuse to I? learn the names. There was there was <laughs> other ones that I couldn't remember names. That that one was more like mm, the star personas are more important to me than the names, so I will jettison this from my memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll allow that. Um, but the the scene that I'm thinking of is they're doing like sort of the post the locker room talk, trying to to parse who won, and like Iceman's like we won, and then someone's like Maverick did it too, but he like technically failed because he broke the hard floor the hard deck. hard deck he went too low basically like he went out of bounds he scored an out of bounds goal and it doesn't count in plain soccer and that scene starts i think it's hollywood or possibly wolfman is lying on a bench in the locker room with his legs fully spread <laughs> like he's about to get a gynecological exam like 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 the like the thing is that his feet are in the air as if they're in stirrups, but they're not. He is just fully spread for his friends. It's, he's just airing it out. He's just getting some air in there. Get some air in there. You know, he took a hard loss and he really needs to, he needs the validation of all his guys being like, cool balls. And he's like, thank you. I lost it plain today, but I'm winning at balls. So I'll take it. <laughs> Based on this assessment, I'm going to say it was Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood's a real balls kind of guy. He's very taint misbehaving like that Mr. Show sketch. But the call signs in this movie, even just having this conversation, the call signs in this movie are so fun. There is just like a... The whole movie is breezy, and every moment is silly. Just the, the things they're calling each other, the way they're interacting, it has such an incredible energy. It's never not fun 
it was never not fun for me watching Top Gun. I, I, I came into this thinking I didn't like it, and when I was done watching it, I was like, I, I think I'm probably going to watch this movie again soon. It's just such a compulsively watchable movie for me. It is compulsively watchable, and um, what really draws me into the movie is is uh, the performance of I think his name is James Tolkien. J.R.R.'s uh, grandson. <laughs> but he plays uh, Stinger, who is the bald admiral who, you know, bookends the film. Um, yeah, his name is James Tolkien. And he, like, and, and, and also it's the shooting of the film. It's like, we've got a big old cigar just billowing smoke everywhere. We've got pink and red lighting We ha- or, and blue lighting. We have, everyone is pouring sweat everyone is so, so shiny in this movie <laughs> it is it, everyone i love it and it's i love it the first dog fight and it's and and he's just like stressing out like screaming things at the one guy with the sunglasses on who's who's pouring sweat and maverick's doing his thing and all this stuff is happening it's like but like everything there's there's busyness in the frame and you know that this comes from you know, Tony Scott, like being an artist and a painter, and he knows how to compose things and to make them interesting. And, and probably also from from being a commercial director, too. But like, you know, it's like you have blinds, you have shadows, you have all this textural moments happening, all these color moments happening. And then you just have like really great character actors like screaming stuff. And I'm just like, I love it. I just love it. <laughs> and then he calls them in and they get yelled at and it's great. And they're and they're trying to like repress themselves from from being super excited about going to Top Gun. And you're just like, I'm so excited for them. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite things about my favorite thing about the compositions in that scene is as as Tom Cruise grew in figurative stature as a movie star a common thing is for him to be cast opposite people who are closer to his height he's a very short man and so a lot of times there are efforts made to sort of equalize and make him look more average top gun does not do that because top gun did not at the time have any sort of obligation to do that and so in that scene especially Anthony Edwards is towering over him when they're standing next to each other, and Tom Cruise is standing up straight with every confidence. But, like, he's a short guy. Yeah. And there's just something not remotely intellectual about that that I love. I love that Anthony Edwards, his tall friend, loves his short buddy. There's just something about that. I want them to hug each other. Tall friend and short friend. That is so funny. I thought of it as Anthony Edwards being too tall. Like, I was centering Tom Cruise and, and making Anthony Edwards the relative. Like, Anthony Edwards is the gawky tall one. <laughs> I think he's, like, normal tall know, in real life. It, Tom like Cruise 5'11". is just fucking short. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, this is a movie that lets Tom Cruise be short. Yes. It lets him be short. And, you know, when you talk about movies that let, uh, let Elizabeth Debicki be tall, uh. this movie lets Tom Cruise be the, <laughs> the, the short king that he is. Wait. Yeah, I do yeah, have yeah. to ask now, now that Elizabeth Debicki has been brought into conversation, this <laughs> is not germane at all, but did you see Vita in Virginia? I did, yeah. How did you feel about it? I reviewed it. I think I liked it. Or I don't know. I mean, I think I liked it, but like didn't love it. I think that might be my Top Gun. <laughs> I mean, honestly, my Top Gun is probably the Twilight movies, but as far as like, oh, I... There's a short protagonist that I'm horny for, and then there's the the tall friend who is also very cool. <laughs> That's Vita in Virginia. That's like the vibe. That's the one that gets it for me. The planes oh, okay, okay. are the same as a really long, 
uh, letter long writing letters, sequences. Long letters. Where they just yeah. speak stuff to camera and like look directly into the you know, audience's eyes with they writing say horny Writing a really shit. good letter is, uh, you know, a lot like dogfighting. Yes. And, you know, it's basically the same thing with your words. And I've always said that Vita Sackville West is uh, too reckless. She is dangerous in her letter writing, but that's what makes <laughs> yeah. her great. She's, she's the maverick of <laughs> epistolary films. <laughs> I this I already made that comparison, but I realized uh I don't know, like ten minutes ago, I don't know if anyone saw my eyes get really huge. It was because I realized that this is boy bring it on. Ooh and I went, oh, yeah. I get it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um because that so so that means it's the same sort of like they're they're rivals, but they don't necessarily need to be rivals because it's about just being the best and it's about doing things the right way and a question of you you got here by weird means you got here by default your pedigree is one of shame in <laughs> in Kirsten Dunst uh place it's because they stole the routines of the Compton Clovers and Tom Cruise's place is because his dad uh did something classified that caused him to disappear and or die no but it's because Cougar uh, drops out yes but in the same way, yeah. because something, because uh, the the clo- the Torrance Toros get into state or nationals just mm-hmm. because they were champions previously. True, true, true. Yeah, like, they, they wouldn't have, the have gotten in They're otherwise. Legacy. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's still not under merit either way, technically. Right. My brain is like currently jumping through hoops to make these <laughs> connections because for me, Top Gun is like. It really connected for me this time because it is so much less of like a semantic film and so much more about its like syntax and Mm. vibe, if that makes sense. Like the Tony Scott of this fucking movie is what makes it so magical to me. And obviously the cast is amazing. It wouldn't work without them. But like totally I was on board from the jump, the fucking opening shots of all of the dudes on the aircraft carrier prepping the planes. And you've got that like amber and the fog i'm like oh no one makes movies look i know cool i completely agree every single time i watch a tony scott movie i'm like r.i.p to a real one because he makes a movie look cool i know i love the guy who's like pulling the rope or something i'm like i want to do that like i want to be that guy rope, rope guy. guy like he's I like love crouching the ground crew <laughs> yeah the ground crew is great they rule they're awesome um yeah it's like yeah but everything like looks amazing and like and i also watch this and i'm like nobody nobody makes action movies that look beautiful really i mean may, but no one very i don't know people, i just watched sir. an action movie this week that was like so ugly and gray and blog and boring and dusty and i'm like oh come on give me some color give me some gels give me some blinds give me some smoke like do it to me like tony does but no one does it no one does it. There's nothing that makes me cringe more in film conversations than people talking about sort of like elevated genre or elevated material because I don't always think that it means anything. But when you look at something like Top Gun, the way this movie looks and the way this movie feels 100% elevates the material. Like that is that is an instance where I can think about what it is to elevate material. It's just fucking making it look and feel like Totally. This. And 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 um looking at a script and then just saying like how can I like you know that's directing to me is like 
making it like like choosing the compositions or or whatever it is to to like enhance to make it a, a pleasurable experience and not just like now these people talk to each other now just these people it's like the the actual <laughs> directing is in um you know the way that you make it feel and i also think that you know a lot of action movies these days don't have a horny um love aspect so i really like enjoy that he's like we've got something for everybody and there's a great love story and a cool sex scene where you don't even see that much sex but it's like very erotic <laughs> so you know is, i just feel like there's not enough sex agree. in movies these days <laughs> I agree with that. It seems like seems like Bethy disagrees oh, with that sex I scene. I agree that there should be more sex scenes, but uh, I... Hmm. You don't, like, take my breath away? Uh, I, honestly, Metro <laughs> Admit it. is so Admit funny. It. Honestly, to be fair, my favorite Berlin song is Metro. That's my favorite Berlin I, song, I too. put it in my Spotify playlist when the, when the movie was over. I was like, mm, I gotta listen to Metro some more. <laughs> That's something I need for myself. So, I think there's some good stuff going in the the main sex scene like that first initial coupling between um Maverick and Charlie science science woman Charlie I'm back to myself I'm back in my <laughs> zone of not knowing anyone's name of Charlie This is Daria's Maverick know and Charlie but they do the most egregious faux lesbian porn tongues mm, yeah, that I've seen t- outside of, of faux lesbian porn Yeah it's a lot of a lot of tonguing this is this is for the audience. I don't know, I don't know how many uh, porn connoisseurs we have in the audience, but there's this thing. It, My mom, yeah, <laughs> Thomas's mom. Sorry, sorry, sorry mom. mom. <laughs> Skip this off. There's this thing in uh, allegedly lesbian sex scenes that are made for a straight audience, where it's two heterosexual women doing this at each other or just two women who could have whatever just not into it in this moment where rather than actually kiss they just go on each other's face (laughs) and when you see that uh as a queer porn connoisseur you're like oh i'm about to see a woman with five inch nails spank the clitoris of another woman and and the other one goes and (laughs) That was the vibe I got from the sex scene in Top Gun was lesbian, faux lesbian porn. And and you're not, once again, like, Bethy, you're not <laughs> wrong. Nothing is wrong. It's like, it's just a different, it's a reframing, if you will. And uh, it makes me think. Uh, and <laughs> and also, I like, I was watching that sex scene being like, wow, this is like very hot and sexy. But also, I bet it was a nightmare to film. And I'm sure they were not having fun at all. And, um, you know, there is a lot of like, they're just sort of like mashing their tongues together in silhouette, which is a new way for kissing that I hadn't tried before. It's a new style <laughs> we should look into. If you just want to like go like. Uh, like lizard, like lizard, your tongue. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, we're uh, this is something to think about. We're entering the summer of love in this near post-pandemic it's era. There, there are new ways again. to kiss. Find out how you kiss. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm. You don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna explore some new ways. <laughs> it's been a oh, long. We, no, we all are. It's been a long year, my friends. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but I just, I do think that the, that the, there is something though, like, even if you're like, this gross, whatever they're doing, 
there is a tension that builds, you know, through costume, through performance, through uh, the song being played at us again and again. So, like, when, you know, they kind of come together at the end of the film, you're just like, yes, like, I'm so excited. Or I even really like the scene where they're, like, on the motorcycle and it just evokes this sense of like being in love with someone for the first time and like just being so excited to like be with them and everything seems heady and magical. Um, But maybe I'm just like way more susceptible to these machinations. The part that did it for me more than even the motorcycle is when she's chasing him. He's on a motorcycle and she is as reckless as he is flying, she is reckless driving to be like, no, 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 That's fuck you. That's a fucking great That's scene. That's hot. That is, I, I love that scene so much. It's so cool. That's like, I think there are a lot of things in Top Gun that for me are like, I've never seen a scene quite like that, that, that feels and looks quite like that. And this just lives in the Top Gun sphere. And that's one of them. It's so striking. It's it's cool. I I would watch a fucking twenty minute version of that. It would seem like a joke, but I I would watch. It's funny that you mentioned the um Saab commercial because in this movie, like a motorcycle and a plane are going at the same <laughs> speed, right? When he's like first pulls yeah, up to yeah, Miramar yeah. to Top Gun school, then there's like a motorcycle races a car. Like he's constantly putting different vehicles in in a relationship to each other. There are shots in Top Gun that are comparable to probably the most iconic shot in this commercial, which is you have a camera planted way down the runway, and as the jet is taking off, the car is driving faster than it is. (laughs) It is just outpacing the jet no matter how hard it tries, and Top Gun has that energy beginning to end. Um, I want to take a moment and think about what a Tony Scott Transformers would have been like. Oh my god. Good. It would have been good. Amazing. It so good. So sexual. Yeah. Very respectful of the idea of car. It would just love car so much. I mean, yes. And I, I one thing, like, I'm a little bit of a Bay apologist. Uh, I, I enjoy the first Transformers movie and I enjoy his other works. Um, and I think, what can I say without being offensive? I, I, I just think Michael Bay, like, he like there everything about the machines in Transformers is like weirdly erotic to me. Like the sounds that they make. Like I love like when he pisses on John Turturro. <laughs> I was literally just gonna say when the robot pisses on John Turturro's head in Revenge of not the Fallen. That one, not it's that a one. weird. Yeah, but, piss yeah, no, but, but Michael Bay thing. does not understand humor at all. Like I don't think I think he understands machines more than he understands like people talking to each other, interacting with each other, which is why like he just hires like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and just like lets them riff. And I love Bad Boys too, but it's way too long. And I think he just like doesn't understand. He's like these comedic bits go on way too long in Bad Boys too. And you're just like, oh, he just doesn't get it. Like he doesn't have comic timing. <laughs> he also apparently doesn't watch his movies in more than 10 minute well, sequences then, or like chunks before he watches them at the premiere. This is like pretty well documented that's very funny but like there is i think one thing that he does share with tony scott is like this sort of like oh god the eroticism of like machinery (laughs) i'm just out here saying embarrassing things on this podcast hey i talked about (laughs) nails and tongues and 
So, um, but I do think that, like, you know, uh, perhaps a, a, a Tony Scott Transformers would have like a cool, sexy older woman love interest rather than <laughs> Megan Megan Fox. Even though we we stand Megan, we love her. We wish her the best. We do, we do. She was held down, and now she's flying, and that rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I think Michael Bay has some incredible skills. I think there are things he does really well. I think Tony Scott does human beings better than Michael Bay does. Absolutely. As a rule, but um, I'm I'm in the same zone. I actually am a pretty recent uh, Tony Scott convert. Like I had seen True Romance. That was a movie I loved when I was in high school. But I, I was not versed in his filmography but i think there is something very interesting about the way that he makes very commercial movies with this is gonna sound i'm gonna sound like an asshole but there is this kind of painterly tendency to the way that he makes movies i think the tony scott who wanted to be a canvas artist is 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 eminently visible in a lot of these movies even when they're they're kind of silly and and huge yeah I think he. I, like I think it. you're you're totally dead on about the painterly aspect. And I do think that he does do people better. Um, I mean, like I was just thinking about Unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So good, so good. <sighs> There's something that that Tony Scott does in this movie with dress whites, with like the yeah the Navy pilots dress whites, both in the bar scene and in the graduation scene. That as we're talking about, it is painterly. It is it is this field of white where each one is different, and it's so cool. And everybody's skin tone looks great, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people could pull off because people not in the biz. White is hard. Like to do just pure white looks shitty most of the time on film, and the fact that dress whites look cool and crisp but then also like the one black pilot also is perfectly lit is incredible yeah definitely is testament to like uh the craft that he's bringing bethy there have been a dozen moments in this podcast where i've thought you need to watch the hunger Mm. um before we got into any of this top gun stuff knowing the things that you like i think you're going to really like that movie and one thing after another that you like about top gun is done so much better in the hunger <laughs> um <laughs> even though I, I i love i i love top gun and i probably think it's a better movie but the it's hunger truly is special. fucked up of me that i haven't seen the hunger yet there's there's something twisted like i wrote I started to write in a zine as something that was a little bit based on Catherine Deneuve's like vampire turn in that movie, having just seen shit on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta oh. do it. You gotta watch. Yeah, it's gonna like it's gonna change your life. <laughs> Things are gonna happen. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, uh, going back again to that bar scene because we we brought it up again, but I'd like to bring us back to the the movie bar mm-hmm. in it um the the possible is it a venue is it like a uso club on base unclear yeah i realized um, when they're walking in it says animal night mm-hmm. which like who knows what that means um so yeah i do think it's like a uso club or thing and then when he follows her into the bathroom um which problematic um uh it f- feels like a wedding venue or something like it feels less like a bar and more like a um, country club or something. But they do have two bar scenes or several bar scenes at the end. It's sort of like the, you know, where they're playing uh, 
great balls of fire and then he sees her at the bar or a diner that serves that's a that's actually a that's a restaurant in kansas Uh, that's kansas city barbecue um and they have cashed many a check on being a top gun (laughs) shooting location in the ensuing years why would they go shoot in kansas I have no idea. <laughs> I, I wonder if they were utilizing a tax credit or something. Yeah. Because most of the movie is shot in California. Yeah. Yeah. Very obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I did think a lot about the shooting of this because I was thinking a lot about how they shot the dog fights and like what a bitch that must be to edit and like how when you're shooting, like how do you like, how do you storyboard it or do you just go film a bunch of plain stuff and then like cut it together? Like, how do you do that? It seems so hard. It's that shit's bananas. But yeah. it, it, it should be st- said that before this movie came out, there were very few instances of people shooting aerial photography for movies like that. It really is crazy, even by today's standards. I do know that previous to this era of fighter plane, there was like a good amount of dogfighting footage either from uh, Wings or from Hell's Angels, which caused a lot of uh, human deaths to film those aerial fight scenes. But like, uh, or Star Wars, uh, a lot of the the dogfighting in Star Wars is actually like shot for shot remakes of stuff from Victory at Sea, which oh. is like a different... Um, which is actually just like documentary footage of actual World War II dogfights. Wow. So if I had to guess, there would have been a certain amount of looking at World War II footage to figure yeah. out how best to like telegraph that. The visual storytelling, though, in those aerial scenes is really, really good because you're following yes. it totally and... I'm just sitting there thinking, like, how do they shoot this? I mean, they must have storyboarded the hell out of it. But, like, I'm just like, how do they shoot this? And how do they edit it? And, you know, but it, but every but that's what I kind of was kind of getting at before when I was talking about the MIG. It's like, it doesn't over-explain itself, but you still follow everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, I, I also feel like this, like, you could transpose this movie into kind of, like, any anything. It doesn't have to be about fighter planes. It's really about this guy um, getting over himself or getting over his own issues and um, you know it could be like soccer or something you know it could be it could be but that way, would be less cool to watch it would be way less cool to watch it may sound like every episode of watching movies at the bar is a freewheeling moderately intoxicated conversation happening completely off the cuff but it is not so each episode is researched heavily by your hosts. So much Googling, you have no idea. Bookshelf, a new app and website that takes the algorithm out of the internet, has asked me, Bethy, to curate shelves of digital media on their app. Go to bookshelf.com, that's book S-H-L-F, so no E, dot com slash user slash Bethy Squires to see the articles I've read for prep on this podcast as well as shelves about navigating Hollywood as a woman and the darker side of the Walt Disney Company. And if you like what I've shared, leave a little tip. That's bookshlf.com slash user slash Bethy Squires. But real quick, what are you drinking, Katie? What is that can? Yeah, so I have, um, it's called a Cerveza Acupada. It was sent to me by probably Hulu. Uh, for in celebration of the movie Palm Springs, because it's the, the the beer that they drink in Palm Springs. 
starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, where they're just like crushing beers day after day in Joshua Tree. And I hadn't had it. I'm not a huge beer drinker, but um, I decided to bust it out. And it's, you know, it's like a very light lager. It's exactly what mm. you'd want to drink in Joshua Tree in the summertime. Um, and then I also had a little bit of gin um, on ice. And that is gone now. <laughs> With a twist. With a twist. Yeah, because I don't have any um, mixers. So I'm just drinking straight booze. But I also have some That's water. Cool. I also have some no, water. Cool. Booze is uh, cool. It's actually really cool. <laughs> it's been brought up before on this podcast. Booze has been brought booze? up before on this podcast. No, but specifically <laughs> that that Bethy has specific uh, weird needs to be validated by masculine power structures related to booze, and one of those is to be low with mixers and chasers, and to just appreciate. The raw, like being raw dogged by the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. That was that was me, and I think I think the the I'm trying to think of the time in my life I was most raw dogged by the alcohol, and I think it was I think it was in college. Um, I am I, I went to college in Iowa, and there was a vodka that you could get uh, in twelve dollar handles called Hawkeye. Wow. Um, and as a relative, like a relatively untrained consumer of hard liquor, we would just drink it straight uh, and <laughs> thought it was cool. But it tasted like it tasted like fucking acetone. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, it was not yeah. for human consumption, and we were doing it anyway. So I, I don't drink Hawkeye anymore. But that the 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 words you used, Bethy, that's where it took me. When I where where your words took me was any time that I've had Jägermeister and like I've only ever had Jägermeister like after two a.m. and every time I've had Jägermeister I've woken up drunk so I try to avoid it but like the reason I only have it after two a.m. is because like I never think it's a good idea unless I'm already very drunk and then I'm like it yeah let's have Jäger that's why <laughs> no it's horrible um so yeah that that was the time that I got raw dogged by alcohol. The multiple times. Sorry, if you if you if you don't know me, you might not know that I am very much not a bro, but I actually do like the way Jägermeister tastes, <laughs> and, I've, and I've only had you it like once. Like Top Gun and Jägermeister, are you sure you're not a bro? I, I don't know. I mean, I could I could be tipping tipping bro. Maybe I'm doing a heel turn into full bro, Bethy. You don't know what you signed up for with this podcast. But um, the last time I had Jägermeister was maybe like four years ago but I, I worked on this movie Brigsby Bear and my friend from high school was in town and at the Arclight bar he for whatever reason decided to bar buy a round of uh, Jägermeister shots for myself and <laughs> everyone who came to see the movie with us and so like my friend Andrew Woods recently posted this as like an RIP Arclight but he's like yeah I had Jäger for some reason at the Arclight and I don't remember why and I was like oh that was my buddy Alex and we, for some reason, <laughs> pounded those before seeing this movie. Was and you were like, no, "This like is it. delicious." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, black licorice! Sign me up, guys." I don't like Jaeger, but I have done a Jaeger bomb bong. Whoa! So I've never even heard was, of that. There was a little bit of time where I owned a beer bong, which meant that weird stuff got beer bonged. Okay, you're champagne. the bro, Bethy. Stop calling <laughs> I'm a me the fucking bro. bro. Like, no, that's true about me. Is that I? I'm um, in the words of Homer Simpson, I'm a big fat party animal. 
<laughs> so I'm always wearing Hawaiian shirts. That's something you got. I'm a dirt bag. I'm not a bro. Oh, I'm a dirt I love bag. that. A I love. I love dirt bag energy. It's my favorite thing. Um, I've never looked hotter than my dirt bag summer, which is I think the year that I met Thomas. Just FYI. Yeah, you looked great that summer. <laughs> I was great. I had. I was just wearing Hawaiian shirts, uh, with like yellow hair and like pink nails, like an inch out from my. Yeah, that's a hot look. Fingers. I looked like trash, but like in a cool way. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> I had a beer bong. It was shaped like a skull. We drank Andre out of it. We drank Jaeger bombs out of it, and we drank Emergency out of it. And Andre. Shout out to Quaker School for the mistakes I made there. <laughs> Katie, was your? If you're listening to this, you're not seeing what's happening. But Katie's eyes lit up in the middle of that. Was that in response to Andre? Uh, wait. What did you? What was the first one you said? Mm. I can't remember. I just was like amazed. Andre, yeah, probably Jager the bombs. Andre. Probably Emerg- the Andre. Was it emergency? It was probably the the one two punch of Andre and then emergency. Um, yeah. I mean that. I feel like that would hurt. It didn't feel great, but taking anything out of a bong doesn't feel great. <laughs> I feel like both of those good. things would be like painful experiences. <laughs> Too many bubbles. Nice. My only real Andre memory is that in college I was in a, uh, I think what sounded probably like a 90s emo band. We were called Comic Sans. And- oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Colin, for peeking like that. Jesus Christ. And uh, anytime, anytime we played a show, I made it my gimmick as a, a fourth year student to drink a whole bottle of Andre. And our sets were like 15 minutes. Amazing. So then you're just really like stupid. fucked up for the rest of the night. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, def- I was an idiot. I really associate Andre with college. I mean, that's probably the most only times I drank it. I still haven't outgrown my Andre phase by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but in college, there was a thing. Have I talked about my monkeys yet on the podcast, Thomas? No, but I'm ready for it. Okay. So you know how a mimosa is orange juice and champagne? Yes. And a and a brass monkey is orange juice and 40 I had those a lot. liquor? <laughs> I had those a lot. So, um, cut out the middle had, man. I never had a monkey. You never had a brass monkey? Wait. No. That funky monkey? Okay, so no, literally. too late for me. The Beastie Boys, like, rap about it. They're like, drink to the 40, then you fill it up. Like, there's some, and, and obviously their famed single, Brass Monkey. That funky monkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, monkey, yeah, we drank junkie. those a lot. Monkey, I mean, monkey. so yeah, you, you drink it down to the label and then you add orange juice. I drank Gosh. a lot of 40s in college. I used to have a weekly Friday party called 40s and Fritos. And Ooh. where we had, <laughs> as you might imagine, 40s and Fritos. Um, it was very popular. Um, okay, so the monkey is what? Andre and and 40. 40. Oh, God. Mix Take the middleman out. No orange juice. <laughs> just malt liquor and cheap champagne put together. It tastes like... So, it tastes like champagne, but with, like, a little bit of, like, iron. Like, <laughs> like you got punched in the mouth, and then you're rinsing it out with champagne, is okay, what it tastes okay, like. Okay, okay. And that was, that was a drink of choice of mine in college, because I'm not known for great choices. Bethy, you are, you're eclipsing <laughs> me. You're you're eclipsing me. I I bow to you. I'm a big fat party animal. That's, <laughs> I love I'm a it. Dirtbag. I'm not great. I make no. You're you're awesome. <laughs> I do things based on how funny I think it sounds, 
versus whether or not I think it's a good idea. And my monkeys definitely falls into that category. Okay, if you guys ever do a live show, you're serving my monkeys. <laughs> yes, that's all right. Tell all your friends to listen to this show so that we get there. Um, Bethy, I will say that the magic that you bring to this podcast and my life is just that you've had every life experience. <laughs> And, and not only have you had every life experience, but you have a Bethy perspective on it all. <laughs> That's the thing that I wanted to talk about with Tom Cruise is like, I don't, I recognize his movie star-ness and I recognize his uh, role in a villainous cult. But the thing <laughs> Sorry, about, which one is that? <laughs> mm, my Um but the thing about Tom Cruise is that he kind of seems like, you know how if you play like a an RPG video game and you do every single side quest, if you tried to explain the life history of that character it would make no sense. I was like, sure. I was I I took down the evil empire, but I also was a crime lord for a little bit and this one time <laughs> I ran drugs and then also I got this these two teenagers to fall in love and then one time I was just really good at playing darts. And, like, Tom Cruise is a video game character at full, compl- at 100% completion of the game. Like, he has done every, like, in a, in a human life, he has done every single quest, every side quest, every task. You mean as every a movie faction star? Quest. No, no, as, as a, a human, human man. Really? In addition to, yeah, I mean, he's like, he can fly fighter jets. He can do everything. He takes he it jump upon out of stuff real high. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the reputation he has amongst, you know, people he made movies with, especially in the early days, is that he was such a team player and he would, like, sit down with every department head to develop an intimate understanding of what it is that they do. And he would just sort of, you know, fill gaps as needed and do everything that he can. I mean, he's very much a jack of all trades. For all of the probable abject villainy of Tom Cruise, I do think he seems, I don't know, like a an amiable, hardworking I ha- renaissance man. Yeah, totally. He loves the movies. I, he loves the movies. And he, I have heard that he's like great to work with. And even when that recording came out of him like yelling at everybody on set about the COVID protocols, it was like, but he's right though. So, you know, like... The stakes are higher than they've ever been. <laughs> it was a very nuanced... Yeah, there was no right or wrong like he cares side of that argument. very much. He cares so much. And I do think that he is one of those people who understands the craft of movie making really well. He's had a super long career and, like, he probably... Like, they say about James Cameron, like, he can do everybody's job on the set, like, better than they can. And, like, I would, I would assume the same is about Tom Cruise. I wonder why he hasn't directed... He hasn't directed, right? I don't think he wants to. I think he... He's like, knows. I just want to fling myself out of an airplane. And I don't think he has to because he's always... I feel like he might be directing his... Like, backseat directing his performances every time. So I don't think he needs to have right. control of the scenes he's not in. Right. I mean, I think he and McCory are definitely two-hand engineering the Mission Impossible movies at this mm-hmm. point. Like, I, Cruz could do it. But I do also think Tom Cruise is on some level committed to the sanctity of Tom Cruise and the purity of like being a movie star. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, there's not the ego trip of wanting to do all of those yeah, other yeah. things. I think he's fulfilled being kind of the best at what he does. And he, there are no movie stars like him anymore in, in the sense of just like the pure movie stardom. And, and also the, the, the fact that 
he doesn't disappear into a role. He and you know, because I feel like Brad Pitt, like Brad Pitt's a movie star, but Brad Pitt will is sort of a method actor, and he wants to disappear into a role in a, in a way. And um, Tom Cruise is like, no, I'm just I'm Tom Cruise. That's what I'm doing. Uh, you show up to see me and you're going to see me and I'm not going to like do a transformative performance, but I'm going to do some really cool shit and I'm going to like train my crazy ass charisma wherever it needs to be trained to like draw people in. And I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. I want to see Tom Cruise do whatever he wants to do. He's like people talk about what like classic Hollywood guys like modern movie stars are analogs to people talk sometimes about how um, George Clooney is a lot like Cary Grant as far as like the bon vivant. I love my Clooney. I gotta say it. I love my Clooney. I love my Cary Grant. I have some theories about both of them, but um, <laughs> we're not talking about that right now. That's that's the Patreon shit. That's the pa- <laughs> Look, everybody listen to this. Uh, rate, subscribe, like, fave, share, and then there'll be a Patreon where I go off further than I am currently. But the thing about, uh, I think in a lot of ways, Tom Cruise is like, um, oh my God, his name left my brain. Give us some context clues. Uh, Big Cowboy Man. Died of stomach cancer. Gary Cooper? John Wayne. Oh, John Wayne. But also Gary Cooper. I was trying to decide which one he's more like, whether he's more Gary Cooper or John Wayne. But I think Tom Cruise is our John Wayne. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd buy that theory. I was like, no, 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 I'm John Wayne. You know, if, if, uh, Tom, I think Tom Cruise would be Genghis Khan in a movie if someone was like, do you want to go be Genghis Khan? He'd be like, absolutely, I do. And I mean, he, he was in The fully. Last Samurai. Thank you. Yeah, he yep. was in The Last Samurai. I, I saw that movie in the theater during a snowstorm. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and it's like, you're not going to, you're going to a John Wayne movie, and you're going mm-hmm. to a Tom Cruise movie. Like, I, a couple years ago, I saw The Mummy. Bad movie, but I was like, I'm super excited to see a Tom Cruise movie. Like, I just still get excited about that stuff. Um, and, yeah, bad movie. But I still was like, get ready for my Tom Cruise fix. That's the only That's the only time I've seen Tom Cruise in a movie where it was not enough to elevate the experience past the threshold of enjoyment. Uh I did not like The Mummy, but any other time I've seen Tom Cruise in a movie, I've left feeling like I had a good time. Yeah. I don't know if... I I do feel like he was not set up for success to be in The Mummy, because the thing about Universal movies is they are not necessarily star vehicles. Like, yeah. Boris Karloff did... Boris Karloff was The Mummy, and that was, like, a big deal, but mm, not because, like, Carl Lumley wanted him to be a big deal. It was... sorry. Bethy, are you casting doubt on the viability of Universal's dark universe? <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely not. And in fact, I wish it had worked out. And if they would just give me the keys, I feel like I could uh, figure it out and steer it right on home. But I do think that it becomes a double-hander that it doesn't need to be. Because there's the IP and the Tom Cruise right, and right. which one is actually going to win out for supremacy. Like, are, am I going to see a mummy movie or a Tom Cruise movie? That is a very good point. I also think that like that movie asks him to be, to do some like humor, which I think Brendan yeah. Fraser can pull off, but Tom Cruise can't. And I don't think Tom Cruise can do comedy. I mean, can you think of him doing comedy? Mike, 
like My Tropic Thunder. Yeah, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, his role. <clears throat> he's kind of funny. But like, he's always committed to the bit, and I think that's like why not the bit, but he's always com- like even the unintentionally funny parts of Top Gun, like the homoerotic moments. Like he's not. He's like playing it totally straight faced. Totally. Yeah, he's the his his enterprise is earnest. Almost any time he's made a movie, he believes it fully. I I don't think he's aware of a way that it could be interpreted as funny. Totally. Absolutely. I mean like and there are things now, I mean in the in that when people watch it now, they're like um like the vibes between Iceman and Maverick. I mean, the volleyball game if you want to we got to talk about the volleyball game. Matthew yes. wants to talk about the volleyball game. Well, I do think people will get very mad at us if we don't talk about the volleyball game. Because that's, I think, when it comes up in a bar, when I've brought up Top Gun in a bar, people have been like, the volleyball game. And I'm like, yeah. yes, by all means. Very sweaty. Great God, job. I love the volleyball game. I also love that they let noted short king Tom Cruise spike the volleyball. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's only two people, so, like, someone's got to do it. But I'm like, put Anthony Edwards up by the net, guys. Like, (laughs) he's the tall one. The thing that most flipped my lid on this viewing of the volleyball game is that Tom Cruise is shirtless in jeans for it. As if he's Christian Grey in his fuck jeans. From Fifty Shades of Grey. I love it. I actually got in trouble with my landlord last night when I was watching this movie because I uh, I got the volleyball out of the rec closet and I, I whipped my shirt off and I um, jumped up and did a spike, kind of like a traditional volleyball spike, and I shattered the window. Um, so I have to move out. <laughs> That's amazing. Were you wearing? You were wearing very tight jeans. I hope. Yeah, I was wearing a, a Levi's brand tight jean. <laughs> Good. Thank you for a, a, a vintage fit. Thank you for the authenticity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it is so incongruous. I think is the thing is like, but there are a lot of like things in this movie. Like I said, it doesn't overexplain. Like there are certain scenes. It's like you don't need to know where they're going to or from. That just all we need to know is that they're in the elevator together and they have this very sexy moment. Like. We don't need to know why they're playing volleyball. They just are playing volleyball. And but it, yeah, it's it's like, what's happening here? Why is the, why am I suddenly getting you know being assaulted in my eyes by Rick Rossovich, uh, posing? He's the the actor who plays Slider. <laughs> I do think that's some of the magic of Top Gun, though, is that it doesn't ask those questions. Exactly, it, it doesn't have to over-explain why someone's playing volleyball, why someone's in an elevator shirtless with a towel over their shoulder. <laughs> it is just it, purely what it is, and I think all of those moments comprise a whole that is fucking electric. Like in in the opening sequence of the movie, I don't think I've ever felt more like a boy than when Maverick is doing his shit with the MIG and he inverts his plane and flies over the top of the MIG and they're just kind of a mirrored reflection of one another and he flips them the bird. I I was just like, I had this big stupid smile on my face and like, I guess we know why he does that because he's an ego guy and he loves to sort of sign off at the end of every skirmish. (laughs) But I, I... this movie got me in whatever the boy things are in my body. Yeah, I mean, it got me in my boy things, too. And I don't even <laughs> have those, but... There's something so beautiful about different movies getting 
different people in the boy things. <laughs> because they didn't get Bethy's boy things. My boy things weren't got, but my boy things were got by swingers. So like, nobody's right. Nobody is unboyed. <laughs> And I love that I'm equating not being a boy and being right. Like, that's a mistake on my part, but whatever. It's understandable. <laughs> um, yeah, I also just think, like, what I love also about this movie is, like, the pace of the dialogue. Like, I think so much when I watch a movie and I'm like, this feels off or weird. I can't pinpoint why. It's, like, the pace. And I feel like mm-hmm. Tony Scott just is like, okay, everyone talk as fast as possible. And, like, we <laughs> will just you know, uh, go as fast as possible. Like, I love so much. This is really random thing. Tim Robbins plays Merlin. Uh, and, uh, he, he's riding, uh, in the backseat and the, in the last, uh, scene with Maverick. He's the Rio. I Googled it. What's the Rio? <laughs> I don't know anything that happens in this movie. Goose and Merlin <laughs> and Slider are Rios, which is like, uh, comms almost they're like their their job is to like figure out where other people are where they are the radar information i don't know what the see i thought i was like oh they're like a navigator essentially essentially there's somewhere between a sulu and an uhura in star trek parlance does that help yeah um but he like he just doesn't stop talking and in all those flight scenes like they're just talking constantly and like when maverick's having his freak out moment like Tim Robbins is just going like, Maverick, come on now, get yourself together. Like he is just like go like I just imagine him at like in an ADR booth, just like ripping off these one liners, like, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing and like I appreciate the 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 sort of like density of the film in the sense that like the the dialogue is layered, the pace is fast, the compositions are like visually, you know, stacked with like a lot of things going on. So like I think that's what gets me about this movie is like you're getting the score, you're getting the songs, you're getting the performances. It's like it just like sort of washes over me and I just feel very delighted by that. Yeah, I think I think the score in particular, every time that uh Harold Faltermeyer, the like main theme, which is called the Top Gun Anthem, every time that <laughs> plays, the scene is just burned into my brain. Like that when he does the flyby, when he's so happy about how well he did in a drill, Goose is like don't do it, man. You know, you can't do a flyby. And he's like, I can't help it. And so he just rips by the radio tower as this huge guitar riff is happening. And I'm like, oh, this movie knows exactly what it is. It is just sort of stacking all of these wonderful things on top of each other. It's a great shot. It's a great performance. It's an absurdly catchy theme. And yeah, you have I'm this, a Top Gun convert. You have this great gag which is so stupid <laughs> the runner with the coffee oh yeah of the coffee and you're like this is dumb but you're still like i <laughs> spelled the coffee <laughs> katie did you did you see black bear and like it yes i love that movie yeah i i, I thought you did my favorite thing in black bear is the um one of one of the department heads keeps refilling her coffee because it gets spilled yes and yeah. every time it's funny. Yeah, but. I know it's funny. I, 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 it's a, it's a effective. That's the thing that I think I like to. The word that I like to use a lot about like movies where I'm just like, I know what they're doing, but I'm still enjoying. It's like it's effective. It just works. And like even that dumb gag, and there's like a really silly thing where he goes. He's in the office after he buzzes the tower, and he's like, 
I want butts. Ooh, I wrote that <laughs> I down. Want I wrote, butts. I want some butts. I want some he butts. I want some butts. And then the guy bumps into him at the coffee and then he's like, not, uh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it's, it's the broadest sort of dumbest like Looney Tunes humor possible, but still fun. I think I think Tony Scott though I think when he made this movie he probably felt like he was getting away with something. There were a couple of years where he thought he wasn't going to make another big movie, and so when he was able to make Top Gun, I think some of the eroticism and the silliness, I think he was probably laughing, you know? I think behind yeah. the scenes he probably thought I can't believe I'm able to do this, and I think there's something magical about his very specific perspective uh kind of guiding this movie yeah like he feels sort of like he's on borrowed time so he's just throwing it all at the screen yes and somehow it all just kind of works and it's a movie that people love not bethy (laughs) hey i was trying to be silent and let people appreciate things (laughs) No, but you're not alone. I mean, when the movie came out, it was met with a really mixed commercial reception. And there also is a, not a not a popular consensus, but there is a consensus that this movie sort of typifies the kind of like empty 80s aesthetics and, and, and sort of like advertisement bleeding into Hollywood filmmaking. And I see where those people are coming from, but I do actually think... There is just too much going on for it to be that simple. And also the ways that it does borrow from advertising and it's really striking visuals, it, that stuff's great. Yeah, I'd like to to think well of myself that the things that I, the qualms that I have are not those qualms. It's not necessarily, like, I agree with everything it's doing rhetorically, like a little bit similar to what Katie is saying. Something that I used to say when I was a teacher to the point where my students started to ape me is like when they would try and challenge me in class, I'm like, how is that useful? What you're saying right now? What do you want to happen based on what you're saying right now? What's your goal? And how do you think you're serving that goal? And I think that everything that Tony Scott does with this movie is rhetorically useful. It's just based on a precept that I'm not into. Absolutely. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful castle constructed on a foundation that I think sucks shit. Uh, but <laughs> I am I can absolutely appreciate the the gorgeousness and the intricacy and the the work that was put into the castle. I think that's why like I I'm totally okay with people not liking Top Gun for as much as I love it because I understand that like you are rejecting like the basic premise. Or like the, like the Tom Cruise of it all, or whatever, and it's like I understand that, like that is fine to reject it, but it's not like nitpicking any of the things that I really like. So it's like I, I, I accept that when people are like, I just don't like Top Gun, I think it's dumb. I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> it doesn't diminish my my enjoyment of it at all. It kind of is bringing me back to Cloud Atlas that. When when Thomas first brought it up, he was like, I like this movie even though it's dumb. I'm like, no, 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 no. This movie is dumb. And you should like it because it's dumb. Like, there are certain thesis statements, like emotional foundations upon which certain movies are made. And I think the movies that are best to yell about in a bar are the ones that are on maybe even like the shakiest ground or like 
that 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 can be that fraught that that level of engagement can come from me like i love everything about it because blank 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 like i hate everything about it because the same reasons it's just right. this one thing that we disagree about yes yes exactly I will say I so appreciate, Katie, you recommending this movie and us taking you up on it because there's nothing that I like more than doing a 180 on a movie, going from thinking I don't like a thing to deciding that I actually really like a thing and having to reconcile those two positions and still having memory of not liking a thing but now having a newfound appreciation. That's very fun. I also will say tonight is the most I've felt at a bar (laughs) on this podcast which feels like a major milestone so thank you so much katie yes i mean i feel like all the like funny digressions we've had have been totally in line with like how bar conversations go and i love them (laughs) all equally as my own children um and yeah and, and also it's yeah it's I could go on and on about how, you know, the conversation has flowed, but nobody wants to hear me talk about that if they've just listened to it. So, <laughs> but yeah. You were there. You flowed with it. Yes, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. You can be my wingman anytime. My wing. Bullshit. My you wing- can be my wingman. <laughs> All right. Well, you can both be my wingman and I offer myself up as your potential wing wingman. Katie, where where can we find you on the internet if someone hears this podcast and wants to see what 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 you have to say? My Twitter handle is Katie Walsh STX, uh, and that I post all my reviews there. I post all my um, hot takes there, and um, generally engage with the world on Twitter uh, for better or for worse. Um, so yeah, and all my stuff is on Rotten Tomatoes. So if you want to search Katie Walsh. You can find my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's the best way to find me. Hell yeah. Bethy, you're you're really great with show socials. We've got uh, Movie Bar Pod on Twitter where we engage with things, and you curate a great Instagram feed. What's that one? Sure, that one is Movie Bar underscore pod. Do you post as Bethy as well? Can people can people find you online like that? Sure, sure, sure. So I'm Bethy B S Q U on Twitter and Bethy Squires on Instagram. And Thomas, you're on Twitter. I am on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me at at uh, handsome underscore pal. Because he's a handsome pal. He's our <laughs> handsome pal. Yeah, I sat and I was really thinking, what uh, what can I change my Twitter handle to now that I've been banned for saying I hope Roy Moore dies? <laughs> um, and Handsome Pal is the first place my head went. Oh, wait, sorry. I have one more trivia fact now mm. that we're talking about Roy Moore. Just, just before we bring this thing home. So... Um, Duke Cunningham was a California congressman, like a fucking total ghoul of a Republican. But he famously bragged to his peers that he was the inspiration for Maverick, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, it is a name that sounds like it's from and, Top Gun. That's And fair. when this reached the producers of the film, they very firmly refuted the claim. <laughs> Which is fucking funny. It's like the kid on the playground who's bragging to all of his friends that he beat his older brother's ass, but doesn't realize that his older brother is standing right behind him. <laughs> so thanks, Duke. That's quite the claim. I do have to say, I have a friend from college who has a, a son named Maverick. So people are doing that now. People are doing that. Name your kid your call sign. There was no inspiration for Maverick, but Maverick can inspire. Yes, he can. <laughs> 
This was not so Bethy. <laughs> oh, I'm inspired, just not in the way perhaps Maverick wished. Someone name your child Goose. Challenge. Goose. <laughs> the oh, real king of Top Goose. Guns. This is a podcast about child rearing tips. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins with show art by Lindsay Farrell. And that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. <laughs> <laughs>